Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every weekday at noon East. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. Since we last spoke on Friday, it really feels like our world, our sense of humanity is being torn apart city by city, day after day. I'm distracted by my dog. No, it's okay. They can stay. Stredwick and Thunder are in here and well, Stradwick's fat now, and he breathes heavily. So I apologize for the distraction. <laughs> um, but sadly, I, I felt this myself. We went to Chicago. I, I mentioned this at the end of Friday's show. I went to Chicago, and I met with uh, two of my best friends. We do a girls' trip every year. And a couple things that we cover in the news were there. First of all, the rise in crime and homelessness. You could see it uh, on a city in a city that used to be absolutely pristine. You could eat off the streets of Chicago when I lived back there. Um, back in the, the mid 1990s. And then again, in the two thousands and, um, very different now, very different situation. And then secondly, we saw, oh, they do have to go They're Sorry. They're, they're playing and they're biting each other. I tried guys. Um, and then secondly, the students for justice for Palestine crowd was out there in droves. I mean, droves marching through the streets, chanting loudly, waving their pro-Palestinian flags and so on. I mean, we've seen city after city after city, domestically and abroad, where we've witnessed a wave of anti-Semitism that shocks the conscience. The amount of incoming can feel overwhelming, right? It's like, what? who knew that there was this level of anti-Semitism everywhere? So we're going to break it down to two of the biggest demonstrations that we saw over the weekend, including in New York City. And New York City's got more Jews in it than any city any place outside of Israel. And yet you wouldn't know that to look at the protests. My God, Friday night, New York, a protest to quote, flood Manhattan for Gaza. It started at Columbus Circle near Central Park. There the crowd had this message for an upset supporter of Israel as she sought comfort from police. Listen to this. Get that? Cry, bitch, cry. She was upset. She was getting harassed. And their response was cry, bitch, cry. Nice. Sweet. From there, protesters marched to the New York Times building in Midtown, vandalizing it with fake blood. You remember we told you about the weird sit-in they were having in the lobby there on Friday. Uh, and they decided it might be fun to curse at a daily news reporter outside of the building. Seems like a nice group, doesn't it? No one and nothing, it would seem, was safe from their fury. Not the baristas at Starbucks, 
who were told, you make drinks for genocide. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Okay. Not, not what we signed up for, I'm sure they thought. Not the Israeli flag, which of course was burned. One chant heard Friday night, it is right to rebel Israel, go to hell. Now I appreciate the, the, the rhyme and the, the beat of the rhyme because in some of these protests, they've been less than clever. I appreciate that they got the, just the right pentameter as they, it, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you have to mock these people. Like who sits around? I, we got to come up with just the perfect rhyme so that we can condemn the Jews and call for them to die. Um, Israel can go to, it is right. It is right to protest. No, it is right to rebel. Yes, Israel can go to hell. Yes, let's do it. Remember the moron high schooler who had to write his two-liner down on a placard so that he could remember it? He was reading his little... We're not dealing with the smartest crowd. That's the truth. And of course, the American flag was not off limits, too. They love to burn that, too, and to take it down in favor of the Palestinian flag. That's lovely to watch. Much to the jubilation of the crowd. This is back in New York who stood near a sign that reads, U.N. Way. Take a look. There goes the American flag, for those of you listening. We're pulling it down. And again. And another one. And the crowd is cheering. Look at them. Is that Megan Rapino? Screw them. You don't like America. Get out. Get out. We don't want you here either. You don't want to be here. We don't want you. It's perfect. Go home. Honestly, like these half these people are chanting in Arabic about this country that they've clearly chosen, but it's not good enough for them. Get out. We don't need you here. If all this not is not enough, the protesters also forced New York City's Grand Central train station to shut down. Now it's on. You want to pull down flags? Pisses us off, but whatever. You want to shut down Grand Central and stop people from getting home on time? It's on. Watch as they kick the doors while cops are locked inside. Look at these people. Look at them. Only a few were even arrested. Why? Why? Anti-Israel protesters also took to the streets across the globe over the weekend. Cape Town, Barcelona, Brussels, just to name a few. London seeing its biggest rally since the war began. The biggest anti-Israel rally since the war began. Taking place on the very weekend that Britain honors its war dead. Leaders had asked them not to protest on such a solemn day. You won't be surprised to learn they didn't give a shit and did it anyway. An estimated 300,000 taking to the streets of the British capital. Here's an interesting fun fact for you. This same group, these these pro-Hamas protesters, they said, oh, we had 850,000. The cops said you had 300,000. So there too, here and in Palestine, they like to overstate the numbers, seeing a pattern. There they are all around the British capital, organizers, again, trying to tell us, oh, we had almost a million. Okay. Police are now trying to identify a number of them for hate crimes and abuse. In one video, a woman yells this. Killers! Get all the Jews! That was killers. Death to all the Jews. 
If you could say it in a way that was more clear and didn't require such translation, it would be far more effective. You work on that. You work on that. If you could make your Jewish death threats absolutely clear, I think you might reach more people. Or just say it in your native language. Those are the people you're trying to convince anyway. Police also wanted to find, or want currently to find two men pictured here wearing what appears to be Hamas-style headbands. And then there's the woman carrying a sign that shows the Jewish Star of David wrapped around a Nazi swastika with the slogan, no British politician should be a friend of Israel. Got it? Don't you dare support the Jews who were attacked by the terrorists. Now, there were some counter protests. Stand by. I'm going to show you. Okay, they're walking for our for a listening audience, one man attacked for holding up a sign. You see, he was holding up a sign that equated Hamas with ISIS. And what happened when he held up that sign? They attacked him. They attacked him. Take a look at that. Chance of England till I die also heard among the counter protesters. And the media also really, really wanted you to know that there were, quote, far right protesters among the counter protesters who battled with police. In one tense scene, a protester was seen shouting in officers' faces, the crowd telling the police, you're not English anymore. Watch. Okay, so it's like a group of ragtag people out there giving the police a hard time. The police, as you may remember, have been tearing down the hostage posters. They say they're disruptive. So the police themselves have been tearing down ho- posters of the missing, kidnapped hostages. There's some animosity growing against them. Uh, the police say that they arrested more than 100 people, the majority of whom were right-wing protesters. I'm sure. I'm sure they were. And yet across the English Channel for Jews, there was a glimmer of light from the City of Life, light in Paris. More than 100,000 people taking to the streets of Paris on Sunday to march against anti-Semitism. Good for them. Look at this. Finally, I know some of my audience wrote in and said, you know what? Jews have been persecuted persecuted for 2,000 years. That's why they don't, their instincts are not rush to the streets and make a spectacle out of yourself. You know, they're, they are under threat. They're not really feeling too bold about going out into the streets right now, but they did it. And God bless. Do it. Do more of it. There's safety in numbers there. 100,000 people on the streets of Paris. God bless. Joining me now, Constantin Kissin. He's co-host of an amazing podcast, which I've mentioned a few times on the show, called Trigonometry. And the podcast is wonderful. He's been doing it for a long time. And Constantin is getting more and more attention. He came on the show a year plus ago to talk about Ukraine. And he's been all over the Israel conflict as well. He's back today. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Constantine, good to see you. Welcome back. Megan, great to be with you. Can you believe that open? I mean, the amount of B 
behavior, bad behavior happening at these pro-Palestinian protests, attacking the guy with the pro-Israel sign, getting in the face of innocence, calling for Jews to die, that one woman afraid, you know, calling her a bitch, cry, bitch, cry. It's like, and then, of course, in the UK, you get a handful of counter protesters who have some tense exchanges with cops. And the whole story is about the alt-right, the far-right protesters. And then we'll get to, they just fired uh, this well-known politician in the UK. And we'll get to why. But the UK, I mean, it's amazing because they're going even more the wrong way than we are here in America. But the two problems are exactly the same. What do you make of it all? Well, I'm so glad you played the clip from France because I said, this is how you know things have got really bad when British people are looking over at the French and thinking, we like you, we envy you, we want more of what you have. That is unusual <laughs> for, for, for the situation here. Uh, but you know what? I'm, I'm sad to say I'm not surprised. I mean, what we have had uh, since the October 7th attacks, uh, people have forgotten this, but actually in the first two days after the terrorist attack happened, uh, we had anti-Israel protests, and I use inverted commas for people listening, on the streets. And those were not anti-Israel protests, those were celebrations. Those were celebrations. There were people on the streets of this, this country and this city celebrating mass murder and terrorist attacks, celebrating. And what we have seen since over the next few weeks um, is the inevitable consequence of the fact that the police simply, uh, you know, we, we, you mentioned the politician who we'll get to, uh, the reason she was forced to, uh, to she, the reason she was uh, fired actually, was that she dared, she dared, Megan, to insinuate that the police uh, are not policing even-handedly when it comes to different groups. Uh, and we, what we have seen over the last few weeks is that it's perfectly normal, for example, for uh, people in the pro-Palestinian marches to be chanting for jihad, uh, to be chanting, rise up, rise up, army of Muhammad, uh, and all sorts of other uh, uh, genocidal slogans, effectively. Uh, and they're not being policed. And when the police are being confronted and asked, why don't you go in there and stop these people doing these things, which are against the law in this country, it's against the law to incite violence, it's against the law to express support for terrorist organizations. Uh, what the police say is, look, look, there's so many of them and there's so few of us. However, uh, when over the weekend, a few football supporters who are, you know, th they are people who like to to go out and get drunk and, and have fights with the police. But there was very few of them. There were minor skirmishes between them and the police. The police immediately found it within within the powers to arrest a, a bunch of them. Uh, and of course, the entire media establishment ran with the story that the far right, uh, so-called far right, were the ones causing the problem. And the only question I have for these people is, why don't we look at what the definition of far right is? My definition of the far right and this definition that we've used historically, certainly in the UK, is people who are racist, people who are prejudiced against other ethnic and religious groups, people who are sexist and consider women second-class citizens, people who incite violence. Uh, and uh, to my mind, we have had the far right on the streets of Britain for five weeks, and the police have done absolutely nothing about it, which is why uh, the, the, they are emboldened and they're going to continue to do this. So tell us about Suella Braverman. And what happened there? Because our pal Lawrence Fox has been on the show recently, got booted from GB News for having a, a you had him on too, a crass, but in with in my mind, totally within the balance conversation um, in terms of getting terminated. For, anyway, he's been all over the news. I like him a lot. I know you do too. And he's been tweeting a lot about Suella Braverman getting the boot. She's home secretary. What does that mean? Why did she get fired? It seemed rather easy to fire this woman who, as far as I can tell, 
didn't say much at all and seems to be representing the views of at least half of Britons. Well, so Home Secretary means that she's in charge of things like immigration, security, policing, and so on. She's the person at the top of government responsible for all those things. And what she said, as I mentioned earlier, Megan, is that uh, the police are not being even handed and they're policing different groups differently. Uh, and shock, horror, everybody was very upset about this, even though uh, we have seen the difference. And, I, you know, I wrote on my Substack today about this, that essentially we had during uh, 2020, we had the BLM marches, of course, where the police kneeled in front of protesters. And then a few months later, we had anti-lockdown protesters where the police kneeled on protesters. And that mm. sort of a mismatch in the way that the police approach different people has continued. And frankly, at this point, what has become clear is the police will police uh, vigorously and uh, violently people of whom there are not many, and they will avoid policing large groups of people. And so you can tell uh, quite clearly from that what sort of outcomes that incentivizes. If you let large groups of people behave uh, abominably, uh, but you don't police them, they will continue. Um, and that's why I think we've got the situation that we have. Mm. She um, she had written an op-ed for the Times of London criticizing mm. the cops for letting these pro-Palestinian marches go ahead, saying, as you point out, they, they had stopped far-right protests but permitted the pro-Palestinian, quote, mobs. And she was raising objections to it. And then the British prime minister's office asked her to make changes to the op-ed. She apparently ignored them. Um, then... The article points out that I have in front of me a YouGov survey for Sky News showed 50 percent of Britons thought the pro-Palestinian march plan for Armistice Day, the one that, that honored World War One vets, should be banned. They did not want to see all these pro-Palestinian marchers in the streets on a day where they're supposed to be thinking about the British war dead. And um, she spoke out. And yet that was controversial. This is somebody who they don't like anyway because she's conservative. She supported Brexit. She's been called transphobic because she doesn't think schools should have to accommodate requests about pronouns. Uh, and so now she's out because she wrote things like this in that op-ed. Uh, I do not believe these marches are merely a cry for help for Gaza. They are an assertion of primacy by certain groups, particularly Islamists. Where is she wrong? What did she say that's even arguably wrong? She, she's not wrong on anything. The only thing that she's wrong on is, is to assume that she was a member of a conservative party. The, the prime minister of this country uh, spends more time caring about what the Guardian headline is going to be uh, the next morning than he does about uh, attempting to win over the voters that voted. Well, actually, they didn't vote for him. Uh, they voted for a party that he became prime minister of without uh, a general election. Uh, and uh, that's the situation that, that we're in. I, th I think uh, what we have seen uh, in the last day with her being fired is that the one politician in the Conservative Party that was actually prepared to represent the views and values of most people in the Conservative Party in this country uh, has been fired uh, in order to pander to people who are never going to vote for that party in the first place. And so what you'll see when we have an election next year is almost certainly a landslide for the Labour Party um, and uh, for four years of that. Uh, so I, I think that the reality is uh, is that she was trying to speak up for what is a silent majority in this country, really. Um, and uh, she was uh, you know, too brave for her own party. And also the media uh, elite in this country absolutely hates people like her. One of the reasons is, of course, Megan, we haven't touched on this yet, but these issues are very connected, is that she's one 
of the very few politicians in this country who's had anything to say and attempted to do anything at all about the issue of illegal immigration. And yep. there's a direct connection between these marches and illegal immigration, uh, because when you let in hundreds of thousands of people from countries uh, where there is rife anti-Semitism, whose cultural values do not match your own, uh, you end up with things like the things that we're seeing on the streets. And she was attempting to tackle that. Uh, I believe on Wednesday, um, in a couple of days from now, th those attempts are going to come uh, to a head in the courts. We're likely to see, I think, the, the Rwanda deal, which is the idea of moving people to Rwanda who shouldn't be here, is probably going to be found to be illegal. And so we're at an impasse. Essentially, we have an open border and no one is able to do anything about it. She was one of the few people who tried, and that is one of the other reasons they hate her. Yes, she. we covered this. She gave a speech at AEI. And uh, she she pointed out these people are coming in and they're not assimilating. They they are not they don't actually want to be here. She they don't want to be part of our culture. They want to import their culture here. And for this, she was called a bigot. But it was one hundred percent true. We are seeing it in England. We're seeing it in France. We're seeing it in, even in Germany, and we're definitely seeing it in our own country. I mean, seeing the American flag come down and these losers raise the Palestinian flag. Go live there. If you could find a country on earth that was pretty much the opposite of America, it would look just like Palestine. <laughs> Go take a look at women's rights in Palestine, okay? Go over the gay rights. Take a look. See if that's really where you would like to live, even without the, quote, occupation, right? Go to Gaza which has been controlled by Hamas since 2005. Don't even go, go back to 2005, 2006, before Israel had to go uh, issue the blockade because they were bombing Israel all the time. So Israel needed to seize control of what goes in and what goes out. But for a couple of years there, Hamas was in charge, the Palestinians were in charge of Gaza. Take a look at that version of Palestine. You tell me whether you'd rather live there or the United States. This utopia that they spin up in their minds doesn't exist. These places are hell holes because of the way that Hamas views the world, views women, views human rights. And only on the streets of Manhattan and London does, does it get glorified into something that is fake aspirational. Exactly. And look, I support the right of these people to protest. What I would like to do is get together with people like you and other friends and start raising money for one-way tickets uh, to Palestine for these people so that they can experience firsthand uh, the thing that they're attempting to glorify. Uh, that would be, I think, I say the same thing, you know, you and I've talked about uh, my background coming from the Soviet Union. I would love nothing more than to send all of these uh, pro-communist left-wingers to uh, one way to North Korea so they can experience the glories of communism as well. Uh, you, you know, the point you make about immigration is, is very valid. And this is one why one of the points I've been making this entire time is I actually, people keep saying, well, we've seen this terrible rise in anti-Semitism. I don't think we have. I don't think we've seen a rise in anti-Semitism. What we have seen is what we have allowed to be imported into this country and your country, and what we have allowed to be imported into the heads of our young people. I keep making this point every time I come to the United States, a country I love, a country where I'm frequently. When I was on Bill Maher's show, I said this, we have got to stop teaching our children to hate their own country. And what you're seeing in the streets of New York, in the streets of London, in the streets of Paris, in the streets of many, many cities around the West, is that we have a merger of two things. The woke people who've been trained to hate their own country and the Islamists who already did and were allowed to come in. And that potent mix is what you're seeing on the streets. Mm-hmm. Right. We, saw, we played a clip on Friday that was absolutely perfect and, and unbelievable in, in how what it exposed, but it showed... Um, 
we call them like these trans-TIFA activists, you know, the, the activists who are out there on behalf of the LGBTQ crowd, but it's really just the T part of LGBTQ that's out there. And getting in the face of somebody saying, oh, you know, they're trying, they're, they're against trans rights, they're against trans rights. And the pro-Palestinian protesters are like, what? Oh, wait, we're for that. Wait, well, then we're with him. It was Billboard Chris, you know, Billboard Chris, who's always out there with his yes. billboard. And the, the trans activist was like, this is bullshit. He's against the trans people. And the pro-Palestinian <laughs> people were like, oh, wait, we, we're with Billboard Chris. <laughs> like the you know, the, the realization comes out like, oh, okay, I got it. Wait, we're not actually yeah. aligned. That's the, well, I don't know if you've seen those videos, but in the UK, we've had people go to these protests where they're chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And they say to them, which river and which sea? And they don't know. They, they don't yeah. know. So they don't even know what they're singing. All they know is that, uh, and this is, you know, again, we've, I'm sure talked about this in the past as well. This is the introduction of this, uh, Marxist oppressor oppressed dynamics. The moment you say, well, this group is oppressed and that group is the oppressors, then anything can happen to the oppressors and anything is excusable for the oppressed. Uh, we see this time and time again. Uh, and this is why this ideology is so dangerous and has been so dangerous because it allows them to justify any violence whatsoever against people they have designated to be the oppressors. And I say to your listeners and to your viewers, Megan, when these people were saying in the wake of the October 7th attacks, this is what decolonization looks like, take that seriously. Take that mm -hmm. seriously. This is what they mean when they talk about decolonizing you. This is what they mean. They, they, they have I, no I, rules anymore. I pointed out to the audience that that was tweeted out by this activist, I mean, among others, but this one activist tweeted it out and it was actually liked by this woman named Karen Atia, who runs the opinion pages at the Washington Post. I couldn't believe it. I honestly, I couldn't believe my eyes. The Karen Atia happens to be black. She's proactive in sort of the BLM world, but was on the more reasonable side of that. And so she was somebody I followed on Twitter because I like a diversity of voices coming into my head mm. and to understand what everybody's saying. She liked that tweet, Constantine. I couldn't, I was like, I'm done. I'm done. You like that tweet looking at murdered babies where the person says, this is what decolonization looks like. I'm done with you. You've exposed yourself. You're a hateful person. There's no excusing it. And that's the level of big reveals we've had, person after person, school after school, institution after institution, country after country, of the level of hatred. Yes, for Jews. Yes, clearly. But it's well beyond Jews. It's whites. It's the West. Absolutely. What well, this, you know, in my book, An Immigrant's Love Letter to the West, I talked about all of this. And I very much predicted, sadly, a lot of what is happening now, which is if you continue to tell people that they're entitled to do anything to the people that are quote unquote oppressing them and that they are the victims and the oppressed, and what they must do is reverse the racism that their ancestors experienced, reverse the victimization that people experienced in the past, uh, then you end up here. And it, uh, I, while I predicted it, I also find it difficult to believe because it's that difficult to believe that there are people in our societies who would justify murdering innocent people. But it is the logical conclusion of their ideology, and there's no getting away from that. The moment you believe that you're entitled to go and kill other people or massacre civilians or do whatever it is that they did, burn people alive, all of that terrible stuff, the moment you start to justify that in your own head, anything is possible. And 
I just think we've forgotten in the West how powerful ideology is because we live in this very comfortable, very stable sort of our societies are very predictable. Uh, nothing ever really gets too bad most of the time. But the truth is, ideology is a very powerful thing. And uh, you see the Islamist ideology. Uh, there are people with placards in the streets of London saying, uh, it will show you what happens when you fight people who, who think death is only the beginning. Uh, and I think they're not lying. Uh, they're, they're not wrong. Uh, there are Islamists who believe that they will be uh, going to heaven with their 72 virgins when they blow themselves up or when they die fighting. And there are woke people who genuinely believe all this stuff and they will go along with it to its logical conclusion. That's why, you know, I, I've sort of made the reputation for myself of someone who's maybe a little bit alarmist about this stuff. But sadly, I've been very vindicated in everything that's happening because we're not being alarmist at all. This ideology is dangerous and you have to find a way to stop these, this stuff being taught in your schools, because otherwise there will be no way back. And you, yes, it's, it's at least twofold because you do have to stop it from being taught in the schools. These young people are impressionable. And when all of their teachers and their classmates are saying the same thing, it's tough to, you know, pull them out of it, but mm -hmm. it's also coming in fresh faced thanks to the immigration policies. Here's Suella Braverman in that um, speech that I made reference to a moment ago, mm -hmm. the now fired Homeland, uh, secretary in Great Britain. Take a listen. Multiculturalism makes no demands of the incomer to integrate. It has failed because it allowed people to come to our society and live parallel lives in it. They could be in the society, but not of the society. And in extreme cases, they could pursue lives aimed at undermining the stability and threatening the security of our society. We are living with the consequence of that failure today. Now fired. What a racist. <laughs> yeah, what a racist. That's well, and I know you've pointed out anybody brave enough to say what she just said, whether it's Suella Braverman or Tucker Carlson, winds up fired eventually, gets called a bigot, right? Like you're not allowed to go there. You, you're not. It, remember, it was um, even Tom Brokaw. I don't know if you remember this, but even Tom Brokaw of NBC News, the god of NBC News, um, said something about how these immigrants need to assimilate once they come to America. Well, he got browbeaten for two weeks in the press because of this and wound up having to dial it back. What did he say that's wrong? You don't want to live an American lifestyle or an English lifestyle, then stay home, get out. You can practice all of your Palestinian customs in Gaza. Go ahead and do it. But they, what they want, and Ayan Hirsi Ali has been better than anybody in expressing this, uh, of course, originally from Somalia, eventually manipulated by the Muslim Brotherhood, somehow got out, extracted herself from this. We did a long episode on it and she's written books on it, um, somehow got out and became a lifeline critic of Islam and what they do in particular to women. But she has been sounding the alarm about this for a decade now, about what's happening in particular in Europe. These men are moving in and women who used to be able to walk in tank tops and shorts down the street to go get a coffee, now get harassed, in some instances attacked, often have to work, walk with a male family member now, uh, just in order to ensure their safety because they're not assimilating. They're expecting the European young women and others to assimilate to them. And we've got to a point where 
you know, it's the descendants, brown women, descendants of immigrants like Suella Braverman, first generation immigrants like me. We're all saying this because you cannot have a cohesive society uh, if people are not willing to live together by a, an agreed set of customs and rules. And uh, the point that she was making in that speech that you played about multiculturalism is a very, very important one that most people don't actually understand. So let's break it down. There is a big difference between living in a multicultural society and a multi-ethnic society. None of us, I don't think, have a problem with living in a society where there are people of different races, different ethnicities, different religions. Uh, these are all things that are absolutely fine. As long as those people all agree that they're living in one country, they're all American first or they're all British first. And we have a shared set of ideas about where, where we want our country to be going. That is a multi-ethnic society, which works perfectly well and is perfectly manageable and nobody has a problem with it. But a multicultural society is a society that says, oh no, 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 you don't need to be British. You don't need to be American. You can be exactly the way that you are, where you came from or your grandparents came from. Keep your customs exactly the, the way that they are. Don't adjust to our society. You don't have to learn the language. You don't have to understand the values of this country. You don't have to respect the flag of this country. Just live any which way you want. That doesn't work. That leads to ethnic tension and eventually ethnic violence of the kind that we're starting to see around Europe. It's a very dangerous place. And I, I hate to tell you this, Megan, but it is true. Every Jewish friend I speak to in the UK is thinking of leaving if they can. That's the position oh, we're good. in. Where are they going to go? Here? I, probably America. And, and every Jewish friend I have in America is saying, I've, I've bought a gun in the last week. Mm -hmm. Right. Why wouldn't you? I would too. If I were Jewish 100%. and I didn't have a gun, 100% I'd be getting a gun right now. And then you get morons like criticizing Ben Shapiro because he has an AR-15. Are you kidding me? I don't think there's an American Jew under more threats than Ben Shapiro. He should have an arsenal. If I were Ben, I'd have an arsenal and I'd have a team surrounding me at all times because he's been extremely bold and courageous as he should be on this issue. And he's been threatened. His life has been threatened by the alt-right and these lunatics who are very, very similar. They have so much in common, as you point out. Um, and by the way, in case you think, yeah, this is Constantine's problem over in London. You know, there's some lunatics in New York, but it's really not an American problem. It's not going to come to a city near me. Take a look at Austin, Texas yesterday. Austin, Texas, people. Look at this. listening audience, you've got cowboys on horses waving Palestinian flags. So as Steve Krakauer, my executive producer who lives in Texas, in Dallas, tells me, Austin's not really Texas. <laughs> it's not really Texas. And no self-respecting cowboy would ever be caught dead on a horse with a Palestinian flag. So that's that's fake, too. <laughs> it's It happened, but they're not representative of what's actually happening. But there it is. It happened in Texas these wannabe cowboys waving Palestinian flags. I mean, to your point of this influx of immigration under the guise of multiculturalism will be fine, hasn't worked. It's a failure and the failure is right before our very eyes. Well, one of the things that's happened with immigration, Megan, is just we have something happened around, certainly in the UK, around the mid 90s, probably in the US similar time period, where immigration went from being like it's a good thing that allows us to solve solve certain problems. You know, America is a country that's built on immigration. The UK isn't, but we need some immigration to keep uh, you know new workers coming in and keep things fresh. And nobody really had a particular problem with that. When I moved to the UK in 1996 as a young boy, 
Um, I was one of about 55,000 net that came in. And at that time, 3% of the British public thought that immigration was a major issue because it wasn't a major issue. Uh, for comparison, last year, the net number of immigrants coming in legally legally was 600,000 and probably around 100,000 illegally where we don't even know where they are, who they are, uh, what their values and views are. And we're spending at the moment about $10 million a day on hotels just for the illegal immigrants who are coming in. And the reason that's happened, Megan, is that at some point, a shift happened. And I quote all these left-wing politicians in my book who were all way to the right of Donald Trump on immigration in your country and way to the right of any conservative in this country now, who all said, you know, we need a border. We can't allow people to come in illegally. I mean, Barack Obama was a nativist by the standards of, of the modern day. Uh, and what happened was immigration went from like, this is a good thing when it's measured correctly and when it's controlled and when it's the people that we want coming in to immigration is a moral good. Immigration is somehow something that we must have, not because it benefits us, but because it is our duty to throw open the border to people coming in in any number. And we don't get the right uh, to say we want specific people or we want specific numbers of people. It's just something that has to happen to us. Um, and that is why we're not having the problems that we're having. So uh, every country needs borders. Your country needs to get a, uh, get serious about its border security. And so does our country. And so do many countries in Europe. Mm -hmm. It's it's downright alarming. I mean, the numbers that are coming through here in America are downright alarming and we're not doing anything about it. There's been, you know, they're doing an impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden for his corruption. I get it. But what about Homeland Security? You know, what about Mayorkas, who has just opened the floodgates and allow these people to come in. We have no idea where they're going. And if you don't think there's going to be an increase in people who are Hamas sympathizers in the wake of what we're seeing over here in Europe and in the Mideast, you haven't been paying attention. We already have over well, 100. This is the thing, Megan. I was just the terror watch list who have made it in. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I was just in LA actually, and because I have a Russian name, uh, all the Armenian Lyft drivers, which is all the Lyft drivers in LA, basically, they all start <laughs> talking to me in Russian. Uh, and uh, you know, I get chatting with them, asking, you know, how did you end up here, all your story and whatever. And what I found was most of the people that I spoke to who came in the 90s and the early noughties, they were people who came legally, they applied for a work permit or visa or whatever it was, and came that way. But the people who've come more recently or the people who've brought relatives more recently, they were all saying, well, you know, I, my 80-year-old uh, father, yeah, I just, had, I just brought him over the Mexican border. And if an 80-year-old 80 pensioner is able to make it across, and this isn't someone fleeing, you know, Venezuela. Yeah. This this is people from all over the world now coming in. You have no idea who's coming through that border. And if I were a Hamas terrorist, that's exactly where I'd be going right now. Okay. I, most importantly, did you say early noughties? The early noughties? Is that, that's how is that we, how you're referring yeah. to the 2010 period? No, no, the 2000s. The 2000s. 2000s. I've heard it called the early aughts. I've never heard anybody call it the early noughties. So it's I like because that. Because in noughties. England, we say naught for zero. Naught is zero. That's why. Ah. <laughs> see, see we, we really are two countries divided by a common language, Megan. <laughs> That's super fun to call it the noughties. I, had I known that at the time, I would have lived differently. All right, stand by. <laughs> We're going to squeeze in a quick break. And there's much more to get to, including the increase in the rhetoric praising Hitler. That's next.
Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. There was a report today that on the body of one Hamas fighter, they found uh, a copy of Mein Kampf, uh, Adolf Hitler's book. Then you've got this Rebel News in London interviewing a pro-Palestinian supporter. Take a listen to the messaging there. Sot 7. If the West feels so sorry for the Israeli Zionists, why don't they give a place in Germany? Why don't they go to Hitler's back garden and make occupation there? Then they will know what kind of people these are. Why every so many hundred years, the Zionists get slaughtered? Because Hitler knew how to deal with these people. Oh, great. Hitler knew how to deal with these people, says the man. I'll give you one more. There is, um, it's random, but it's interesting. There's some woman on Hinge, a dating website, and she went on a rant. This is her attempt to win over suitors, Constantine. Hitler was doing the world a favor. Now look what y'all got us into. I'll show you what I think of Jews. If I could go back in time, I would go to 1945. My sole purpose in life now will be to have kids and figure out how to go back in time so we can finish the Jews. Free Palestine, burn the Jews, gas them again. I realize this is some rando, but we could do this all day. You and I could be here all day with the amount of Hitler rhetoric that's coming back. He's their new hero. And yet these morons on the college campuses don't seem to be making the connection. Well, right. The people who spent seven years calling everyone a Nazi don't recognize Nazis when they're directly in front of them. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Uh, and by the way, this woman wants to go back to 1945. I mean, I'm not a historian exactly, but I think by 1945, we were kind of done with her lot uh, it was by pretty, that point. So. It's pretty wrapped up. Sister. Yeah, it was pretty wrapped up. So uh, <laughs> this is the problem with these people is they're incredibly stupid and ignorant on top of the hateful rhetoric that they bring. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is this is the point I keep making to people over here in the UK, Megan. If you want to talk about the far right, this is the far right. This is the far right. This is what it looks like. It's people who are racist, who are homophobic, who are sexist, and who want to kill Jews. How about we focus the attention you've been focusing on people that you've been calling Nazis because they made a joke in a comedy club 20 years ago uh, on these people instead? And maybe we can actually get rid of the people who do hate the Jews and who are hateful and bigoted and racist. Um, but they don't make that connection. Uh, and it, it's because, as we've been talking about, they've been brainwashed into this ideology. At MIT, I mean, I, I got to be honest, I expected at Brown. I'm not surprised to see this kind of thing at <laughs> Yale or Stanford. MIT, that's just where like the math wizards go. That's where like the future quants go for their education. And they're going to make good money. And we're going to rely on their big brains and their ability to be superhuman calculators to do what needs to be done in that field. What the hell is activism doing at MIT? No place is immune. Um, we well, played the video uh, the other day of a math lecture being disrupted by this pro-Palestinian. And the teacher's like, could you just wait until I finish the calculation and then you can do your thing? Anyway, it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse. Uh, where now there's been, um, we didn't play it. Okay, let's watch it. Here it is. 
the, can, I, can I just finish this line and then, then right, I get, uh, I'll give you the time. Right. Go ahead. As you witness the ongoing genocide of Gaza and MIT silence, free, free Palestine! Free, free Palestine! Free, free Palestine! Oh, shut up and get back to the math. I mean, honestly, like, how ostracized do these poor people want to be? You're already a mathlete. It's, you can't add pro-Palestinian anti-Jew to the list. Like, work on it. Okay. Then Jewish students were prevented from attending classes by a blockade of hostile anti-Israel students uh, and saying that, that we fear this school is no longer safe for Jews. They uh, Four hours after this protest began, the administration finally said, get out of here. Leave. Otherwise, you're going to be suspended. Guess what? Only the Jewish students who had shown up actually listened to the order. The pro-Palestinian students stayed. And then MIT president Sally Kornbluth said, those, those who remained, you're going to be disciplined, but it's only going to be you can't go to extracurricular activities because we understand most of you are here on student visas from other countries. And because now the politicians are threatening that you will be deported in various states, if you come over here and support terror, um, we're not going to sort of get you on anybody's radar because if a student is academically dismissed under federal law, their visas can be revoked. So Sally Kornbluth decided to run cover uh, for these kids, leading John Podoritz to post on X. I see. So if you break U.S. law but are a rich foreigner, you should stay at MIT rather than MIT helping you to be deported. Good to know. Um this is the state of American campuses. You can't even avoid the activism when you're just sitting there trying to do your math. Well, these institutions are riddled with it. And uh, it's not just uh, colleges, it's also schools. I mean, ele you know, elementary and up. The, the, these ideologies are getting taught at a young age, as you know, with the gender we were and all of the rest of it. And as to your question, how is it that these super smart kids uh, are convinced of all of this stuff? Uh, 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 a friend of mine, Michael Malice, uh, said something to me, which I, I thought was very powerful. He said, a smart dog is easier to train. And that's what is happening. Uh, just because mm. you're intelligent doesn't mean that's you're not going to fall for this stuff. Ideology is a very powerful tool. And I keep, you know, we forget how powerful it is. But actually, all we need to do is look back a few decades in our history to see that human beings are incredibly susceptible to two things, ideology and charismatic uh, powerful leaders who will use that ideology for evil. So watch out for both of those is my message to people in the West. And starting with ideology, any ideology that tries to pit different groups against each other that says, oh, men and women, they're not supposed to work together. They're not supposed to uh, get married and have kids and raise them together and collaborate and look out for each other. No, no, no. Men and women are enemies or black people and white people, they're not supposed to work together and get along. No, 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 they're enemies or whatever other groups it might be. Anyone who tells you that, be very, very suspicious of those people. Mm. Um, I've got to ask you, because the last time you came on, came on we talked a lot about Ukraine mm. and you were explaining your marriage and you, you married somebody from Ukraine and you have a Russian background. You're a Jew. Yeah. You've got you got a foot in all these camps, Constantine. You're the perfect guest on virtually every story we cover. And mm. um, you were very pro support of Israel by the West and very much wanted the West, America, the England to help Ukraine in this battle. And I it really caught my um, attention when you said it's time to end the war in Ukraine. The time mm. has come. Why is that? 
Well, it's for the reason I said from day one, which is that uh, the, the ultimate strategy for Ukraine was always going to be uh, to put up a fight, uh, to see how well they could do with the support that we provided. And it, unless the West was willing to provide all the weapons and everything that they needed to actually win the war, which it, it, you know the West simply doesn't have the appetite for, uh, then the best deal they were going to get was by pushing Russia out, which they did. I remind people in the first three weeks of the war, uh, the Russian Russian troops were on the outskirts of the Ukrainian capital, Kiev. Uh, they were on the outskirts of Kharkiv, which is in the northeast. They'd captured Kherson, they'd captured Mariupol, they'd captured a, a large number of small cities and a lot of territory. Uh, and the Ukrainians pushed them out with our help. The Ukrainians managed to uh, retake Kherson actually without a fight. The, the Russians had to withdraw from there in the south. They pushed them away in the north. They pushed them away in the northeast. Uh, and uh, achieved what actually nobody at that point could have expected. But ultimately, this was always going to come down to a negotiated settlement. As I said, pretty much I said, it, I think a week after the conflict began here on British TV, uh, the deal was going to be you fight, you give away some land in exchange for long term security. Uh, and what we have seen, particularly with the uh, Ukrainian uh, counteroffensive this summer, uh, is that even though the West has provided quite a lot of support, it hasn't provided uh, the things that the Ukrainians really need to be able to win that fight. And because it's taken so long to provide that equipment and the hardware, uh, what the Russians have been able to do is dig in, uh, plant mines everywhere, and so on and so forth. Uh, and so the the, the counteroffensive was bloody, but didn't achieve very much. And so what we've had over the last year, really, the last major win for Ukraine was a year ago in Kherson. And since then, the lines on the map have barely moved, but a lot of young men uh, and boys, frankly, at this point are paying for it with their lives. So uh, the, the, we, we gave Ukraine the support it needed to put up a fight. It has done that now. Now is the time to bring home a settlement and allow the Ukrainians, uh, in exchange for some territorial concessions, we need to give them long-term security. What do you suggest? I, don't, I only have a short time left, but what do you suggest on the concessions? It's got to be something like, a, well, the concessions are essentially most of the territory Russia currently occupies, which is not a, not ideal, of course. But in exchange, you get Ukraine long-term security, either that's membership of NATO or it's a Korean scenario where Russia can't do this again, because you remember this happened in 2014 and then again in 2022. Mm -hmm. What we have to do is make sure it doesn't happen again. The territory although that's obviously not a great outcome, matters a lot less. And that's why I've basically been consistent throughout. Ukraine needed to fight, put up a fight, give something away in order to get long-term security and secured sovereignty, which it has done. Wow. So interesting to hear you talk about it after our last time together. Constantine, God bless you. Thank you so much for your brave voice. You guys subscribe to Trigonometry. You will not be sorry. Uh, big, big fan. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you, Megan. Thank you. All right. And don't forget, folks, you can find The Megan Kelly Show live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. And we'll be right back. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! 
and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Now we turn to a new documentary that chronicles three families who lost their children over what they say was a connection to the COVID-19 vaccine. The documentary is called Shot Dead, and it tells the true stories of the heartache felt by parents around the United States. Director and producer Taryn Gregson, who has her own COVID vaccine story, and father Ernest Ramirez, whose story is featured in the documentary, join me now. Thank you both so much for being here. Uh, Ernest and Taryn, all the best to you. I really appreciate it. I watched the entire piece and found it very compelling. And uh, Ernest, I'm so sorry about the loss of Junior. Thank you so much for coming on to share what must be a very painful memory with us. Thank you, Mom. I appreciate that. Thank you, Taryn. Um, you feature the stories of three families. And I just want to tell the audience as we get started with this, just today in the news is the fact that the Department of Justice is posting a new jobs ad today looking for eight new attorneys to defend the federal government in vaccine injury cases. More and more people are finding the courage to try to challenge, uh, yes, the drug companies, which is nearly impossible, but also the federal government for forcing, and they did force these vaccines on us without the proper disclosures, without the proper risks, and ultimately without informed consent. It's a, it's a Herculean effort to get past all of the roadblocks that the government put up long ago to try to prevent these kinds of lawsuits so that understandably they want pharmacies to be or pharmaceutical companies to be free to develop vaccines that would ideally cure cancer, cure Alzheimer's, et cetera. But there are serious downsides to those roadblocks. So that's where you guys come in, trying to shine a light, Taryn, on what's actually happened. And I just want to say this before we get it going. Before I took the, the vaccine, I thought to myself and I said publicly, God forbid there's something really wrong with a vaccine. These geniuses who dreamed up the vaccine at Pfizer, Moderna, they're going to have to dream up a cure. They, they just will, because if there's some massive problem with it, they could never just sit on their hands and ignore that. Never in a million years did I anticipate that they would ignore it, that they would actively work to silence people who are raising it, that they would bury data, as, as has been alleged, and, and we had somebody on this show alleging it with respect to AstraZeneca over uh, seas. Um, never in a million years did I, did I consider people would actually potentially die from the vaccine and there would be no fixing it. And that is what Shot Dead chronicles, that you say there are people, way too many people, who took this vaccine trusting Big Pharma, trusting the government, trusting the advertising they saw on TV, and the enormous pressure to get it. And found out the hard way, they and their families, that there were serious risks. So how did you pick the families, Taryn, who you uh, profiled in the movie? Well, at first we wanted to just make a movie about people that were dying from this vaccine because we knew it was happening. You know, just anecdotally, we were hearing stories of people that we knew passing away after getting the shot. And, um, you know, just as Dr. Peter McCullough talks about in the film, when you have something that has been applied to the population in mass worldwide, 
even a small portion that have reactions and or die from it, that's still a considerable amount of people. So when we started reaching out and when I started contacting people and, and talking to them and interviewing them, it became clear to me that the most tragic, all of the stories are tragic, no matter if you've been injured or if you have a family member that has passed from the shot, all of those stories are tragic. But when I was really talking to these parents who lost their children and their babies, and I was pregnant during the pandemic. And so I know what it's like to get that pressure uh, to get the shot while pregnant. And I know so many women that have experienced miscarriages and stillbirths and menstrual issues. So it just became clear to myself and uh, the We the Patriots USA team that we needed to focus on the kids and the babies in this because they are the future and we need to save them. And they, for no reason whatsoever, needed a COVID shot, considering we know that they, um, you know, had a what point zero 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 one chance of really seriously being hurt by COVID, the disease itself. So it all comes down to the kids and we know that that's the the target that the big pharma tends to go after and things like this and we know that once asip voted unanimously to put it on the recommended childhood vaccine schedule that states were going to soon start to put it on their their vaccine schedule and require parents to get these for their kids to go to school to go to be in daycare to be enrolled in various activities we know that women are now going to be told by their OBGYNs to add this to the lineup of shots that they should get while they are pregnant and so we had to step in and we had to focus on the kids because they are the future and they are who matter the allegation that the vaccines caused the deaths profiled in the movie shot dead is as I can, as far as I can tell, supported, not necessarily conclusive, but it's circumstantial evidence. It's not like an actual shooting of a gun that you could know caused someone's death. But you have Dr. Peter McCullough, who's been he's been excoriated by the left and by the people who want us all to have the vaccine in every seventh booster. But he's been a, a skeptic of how safe this is pretty much from the beginning. And he's taken a look at the autopsy reports in these cases and said in the movie, I mean, I watched him, that he does believe these were vaccine caused deaths. Yeah, that was very important to us that it was, you know, backed up by an expert, although we want to focus on the families and the humanity, because I think that's really what it cuts to the core of a person and, you know, maybe makes them want to look further into things by seeing the humanity and leveling human to human with people on their experiences. We did really want to have these experts in in this film to um, back up and support what these parents were saying. And I think it's important because, as you said, Megan, you know, so many people, whether they've been injured or have lost a loved one, have been told and just drugged through the mud by what people, whether it's on social media, even, you know, as we chronicle in this, the medical examiners for their various states uh, trying to get the autopsy results, they they're given the runaround in all these various uh, aspects. And so they have to seek outside, um, you know, help to look at these autopsies to try and get answers. And we even, you know, also have uh, Dr. Thorpe, who's an OBGYN whistleblower, as well as Michelle Gershman, 
a labor and delivery nurse whistleblower. And, you know, these people have evidence, they've done studies, they've done research. And um, not only that, they anecdotally see evidence every day and their practices and, and what they're seeing. Um, and it's just happening so much. It's hard to ignore despite well, the that's fact so that they are trying to bury that's it. That's what's so frustrating, Taryn, is that they, they don't, they're not open-minded. I feel like your side and I as well are open-minded. If it's, if it wasn't the vaccine, show me what it was, explain to me what caused the death. And their side is hardcore. Like, no, we're not going to talk about the vaccines, notwithstanding proximity and time, you know, death to vaccine, myocarditis having been found in the autopsy, blood clotting having been found in somebody who had no comorbidities, their instinct seems to want to be shut it down. It wasn't the vaccine. That's what we know for sure, which only leads to more suspicion. Yeah. And that's why featuring children, I think, is really important, too, because we can all pretty much agree that most children are pretty healthy and don't have many pre-existing conditions, if at all. And so that's why it's important, too, to show the children, to show these people, you know, Ernest can speak on this. His son died five days after the shot. I mean, how he's a healthy 16-year-old boy. And um, Dr. Peter McCullough also goes into this. Most of these kids and these teenagers have myocardial scars on their hearts and they don't even know it. So they're walking around with these scars. And prior to COVID, all of the the uh, medical advisors around the country, CDC, NIH, you name it, have on their own website, if someone has myocarditis, that they should not be participating in athletic activity. Well, you know, now they're just completely ignoring the fact that kids have myocarditis, don't even know it. And so they go out like like Junior did and, and runs in the park and collapses and, and dies. Or Trista Martin, 18 years old, you also get an adrenaline boost in the waking hours of the morning. That's what wakes you up. That's when she had her cardiac episode and her entire body shut down and she went on to pass away. So that's why including these children and showing these are perfectly healthy kids uh, and then they all of a sudden pass away after receiving the shot. It's hard to ignore. And yes. it's. And it's, I just I just want to say to the audience, yes, you can get myocarditis from COVID, too. Yeah. That is a fact. But what went down during COVID was most people were getting or had gotten COVID. They already had it. So they were building up their own natural immunity. They did not need the vaccine. We were told that the vaccine would prevent the spread. It did not prevent the spread. So once you've had COVID, you do not need that vaccine. That is what more and more experts came out to warn us of, um, though not the mainstream, you know, that were being cited in the Washington Post and the New York Times. They, they were like, you need it all, get it all. And well, and the if adverse you had reactions- known that there was a, if you had known that there was a risk of myocarditis from COVID and from the vaccine as a parent, and you knew your child already had COVID, I think very few parents would have then run to get a vaccine, which increases the risk of myocarditis again, again, on a child who might already have it now further in that none of this was disclosed. Parents were just told, and you feature this in Shot Dead, the advertising campaigns. It was like glamorous. You know, there was celebrities and sports figures. We still see it now with Travis Kelsey, like get your booster without the downside risks being fully vetted, disclosed, and discussed. All right, stand by, because I want to bring in Ernest. You, you've talked about Ernesto Jr. And Ernest, um, as Taryn points out, he was 16 years old. Can you just tell us, because the, the movie Shot Dead does a good job of, of describing the fact you were a single dad 
And it was just you and Junior and the, the two of you. It was like you guys against the world. So just describe your relationship with your son, please. Like I've said several times before, Junior was my best friend. <clears throat> we, you know, we did everything together. He loved the outdoors. Uh, I would take him hunting, fishing, camping, uh, like like a normal person would do with their buddy, you know. Uh, we barbecued together. We worked on cars and motorcycles together. I couldn't have asked for a better child. We never made any decisions without the other. Uh, if we were going to go out to eat, we'd talk about it. If he wanted me to cook for him, we'd talk about that. I mean, like I said, uh, he was such a wonderful child. I mean, he was so sweet. Anyone that met my son would compliment me on the way I raised him. And the thing is, it, it was just natural. He was just such a loving person. Uh, and what, what uh, Ernest, what made you decide to get him the vaccine? Because here, where I live in South Texas, all they showed all day long with people catching COVID, uh, being rushed to the hospital, put on ventilators, and dying. They weren't showing anybody coming off ventilators, and they were dying alone in the hospital. They weren't letting the family members be there with them. And like I said, we have never done anything without the other. And I know I would have gotten in trouble. I would have fought my way to get in there to be by his side. I would have never let him alone. And uh, so I went and took it first. And I, at first, I didn't get any side effects. And uh, so Pfizer kept advertising how it's safe for teenagers. And, you know, we were locked up in the house. And I know he was getting a little stir crazy because, you know, the only time he would go out is he'd run a couple of laps around our subdivision and come straight back because he, he wanted to prepare himself for when it was over with and get back to baseball season because he loved baseball. And I told him, Pfizer's saying it's safe for teenagers. You want to uh, go get the shot? And, like, you know, kids don't like to get any type of injections. And he said, sure, Dad, let's go. Because we believed their lies. We thought it was safe. We thought it was going to be effective. When my neighbor said she was going to take her son and junior out to eat and play uh, basketball. I felt confident that he had that first dose. He was protected. Nothing was going to happen to him. He wouldn't get COVID. So I, I let him go. Then, like I said, I, I love, I love that. I love my son so much. I would wake up every morning, wake him up. I'd give him a hug and a kiss before I'd go to work. In the evening, when I get home, I'd give him a hug and a kiss. I mean, we were just so close. I met him at the front door. I gave him some money. I gave him a hug and a kiss, and I told him to be good and call me if you need anything. And like I said, I didn't know that was going to be the last time I spoke to my son. And I couldn't believe, I don't know why I believe their lies. I, I used to have confidence in our government. I thought they were here to 
protect us and for our best interests, and they just proved me wrong. They proved me out, proved that I was ignorant all these years, trusting them. And now look at I'm, I'm here without my son. Mm. So sorry, so sorry for your loss. I, I can see how close you two were. He he was only sixteen. It it was only one one jab, the first jab only, and yes, five days later he died. Yes, ma'am. Running he, uh, running like, across the field. They had went out to eat. They were playing video games. And my neighbor said they got off the truck and they just took off running and he collapsed right then and there. There's no signs of anything. I mentioned Dr. Peter McCullough. He, I know, did review Ernesto Jr.'s autopsy report. Uh, yes, Taren includes a includes an interview with him in Shot Dead, the movie. Here's a bit of it in Soundbite 31. I was uh, fortunate to review the autopsy report. And in my interpretation, and I have considerable experience in cardiac pathology and examination of hearts at the time of death. I believe the autopsy is conclusive for the cause of death being COVID-19 vaccine-induced myocarditis. He took a messenger RNA vaccine, installs the genetic code for the lethal Wuhan spike protein. The spike protein has been found in the human heart. It causes inflammation. It causes tissue destruction. And it sets up a zone of abnormal conduction. Hmm. So, Taryn, you know, you and I both know there are tens of millions of people who have gotten these vaccines who were fine, who did not die and who did not get myocarditis. And of course, the, the drug companies and the federal government and the media would like to point out these are all just bizarre anomalies. This could have happened to any of these sweet children, irrespective of the vaccine. You know, people do die unexpectedly and they, they dismiss the possibility that it's tied to the vaccine, no, no matter what Dr. McCullough and others will say. What happened if, did you go to Pfizer? Did you go to the drug companies for a statement? Like what, what was their messaging on it? No, uh, because we have been shadow banned and censored and um, unable to even, you know, speak with those on the front lines about this. You know, we tried reaching out to uh, the various physicians of the people included in the film. They wouldn't comment on it. I mean, Ernest can talk to his story on how uh, the man and the doctor that administered Ernest shot himself wouldn't even admit that he administered the shot to Ernest. Tristan Martin's parents went through the same thing. They had to prove by pulling up insurance records that the doctor um, gave their daughter, Trista, the shot. They even had to show him, the doctor himself, her vaccine card that he signed, no matter how many times, he kept sitting there uh, denying that. So, you know, we we're not able to reach out to those companies and we were failed even to get responses from those that were directly involved with these families in the film. I think, you know, and, the, you know, the general line you were going to get before I go oh, back yeah. to Ernest, I do want to spend a minute on, on Trista Martin, an 18 year old girl who died and her parents sat with you and told her story, which is equally heartbreaking. There's just a little bit with her parents recounting um, some of the circumstances around the day she died. Sot 33. As they were moving her up to the ICU, 
one of her friends said to us, I think I need to tell you guys this. She had, she got the COVID vaccine and she asked us not to tell you. At the time, it, nothing really registered. Like it was just, you know, well. Yeah. It was like, well, that's unfortunate. That's awful. Like, really, what's the, what's the chances that. that this is what, yeah. you know, caused that? That's kind of how we felt at first. We didn't really put it together until a couple of weeks of research. Her toxicology came back clean. She tested negative for COVID. They had no idea what was going on. They said her heart was swollen. Her organs were shutting down. I don't believe that she was there anymore at that point. I believe she passed at the apartment. They were they were keeping her alive then with machines and... Um, it didn't look like Trista. Yeah. There was none of that bright... The light was gone. She was gray. Hmm. They, their daughter, Trista, had already had COVID twice before she got the shot. And after she got the shot, did she get two shots or, or one, Taryn? The family is unsure. They know that she got one. Um, the doctor's office that was refusing to give uh, the records at first seemed to have wiped their records clean. They have a uh, documentation from the insurance company that Trista visited the office, his doctor's office, again, just a few days before she died. And both times that she was in his office, even the time that they have her vaccine card that states that she got the first initial COVID vaccine, on her charts, it doesn't say anything about it. So it's, they're essentially blank. It doesn't say anything that she got a vaccine. Mm -hmm. So the family is suspicious that that last appointment they had, she had it just a few, a few days before she passed, that she may have gotten the second shot there. But we have no way to prove it because the doctor is wiping and it's not her even necessary, clean. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you tell me because it's not. No, I think we focus on that too much. I mean, it, it's mm -hmm. very clear, I think, when it's within days. But in her case, you know, she had gotten the shot. 112 days earlier before she died. And what you point out in the film and what I've heard other honest doctors say is you can get the shot, you can develop myocarditis as a result of the vaccine, and you, you don't necessarily die of myocarditis. It can be in there and you don't know. And as you're pointing out, if you knew it, there would be certain medical advisories against certain behaviors and certain activities and around certain times of day but what's happening is people are, are walking around almost like ticking time bombs, not knowing that they have this problem, not even knowing to screen for this problem, Taryn. So the, the proximity in days is not really the governing criterion to look at when figuring out whether the vaccine caused injury. No, it's not. And uh, we know through various studies and various papers that that doctors and scientists have have published that, you know, there's various um, things like myocarditis, blood clots kidney failure, all those various things are attributed to the COVID shot. And those are things, all of which that Trista had. And, um, you know, I also want to point out the timeline too, with the shots and Dr. Peter McCullough talks about this, that with COVID, yes, you can, um, you know, have cardiac event with COVID. And most studies have shown that that's within six weeks of the COVID shot, uh, or excuse me, of getting COVID. Um, and also that the just um, barrage of, of deaths and myocarditis and all of the various reactions, you know, all of this happened in 2021. 
after the vaccine rollout. It didn't happen in 2020 whenever COVID came about. Yes, we Mm -hmm. had tragic COVID deaths. We had uh, hospital protocol deaths, um, however you want to frame that. But the, you know, all of this myocarditis, the blood clots, the uh, passing away, the the vaccine injuries. There's a lot of people with brain injuries as well from these vaccines. Those all took place after the vaccine rollout. That one of those cases was documented in, there was a New York Post article today talking about the DOJ seeking all these new lawyers, eight new attorneys to defend the feds uh, as vaccine injury cases go up. And indeed, they chronicled some of those brain injuries um, there was, uh, they, they, they mentioned a plaintiff in a Louisiana case named Emma Berkey, a healthy 18 year old Nevada high school student. When she received the Johnson and Johnson COVID vaccine in April, 2021, suffered a devastating brain injury. And she's had three brain surgeries, thousands of hours of physical therapy. She still struggles to walk right and care for herself, alleges the lawsuit. The thing is, it's very hard to get any sort of redress, any sort of compensation, help. I mean, Ernesto, what, what happened? I know your son was Ernesto. Ernest, what happened with you when you went back to the doctors, when you tried tried to contact anybody about what had happened to Junior? The thing is, everybody turned their back, closed the doors on me. It wasn't until I mentioned that I was going to drive to DC and uh, try to get to the White House, try to get to Biden. You know, to ask questions, and that's when Senator Ron Johnson found out about it. He called me directly, and we had a couple of Zoom meetings, and that's when we ended up uh, having the first roundtable, and that's when I realized it wasn't just me and my son. It was thousands of other victims, like little Maddie DeGary, Grand Dressing, Jessica Sutter, uh, Dr. Joe, uh, Joe Walsh. I mean, I can go on and on. Unfortunately, this is affecting more people than uh, they're letting us know. I mean, I get phone calls, uh, emails, text messages on a regular basis from people asking for help. And like you said, they're saying that not everyone's being affected. Of course not. When you're going to go destroy something, you're not going to roll it out and give the same thing to everyone because if too many people are affected, they're they're not going to get people to you know, go stand up and get uh, that shot. That's why it was like Russian roulette. It it was just affecting so many people because whatever they were doing, uh, like it, it it was pick and choose what we were going to do, what what people they were going to uh, attack. And uh, like I said, it was until then that uh, FEMA was the only one that was reaching out to me trying to get me to change my son's death certificate so that it read COVID. And they were trying to bribe me on that. Can and I ask you a question about that? that. Why, why was that? Is there any way they, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. Was there any way they wanted you to change the designation because they thought it would lead to benefits that you you couldn't get well, if you said it was a vaccine death? The, the thing in, uh, in right after his uh, he passed, You know, naturally, I didn't have insurance on my son because I thought I was going to go first. And I filed, someone told me about FEMA funeral assistance program. So I filed and uh, they denied me. They asked me for everything, uh, autopsy and everything they asked me for, I gave to them. And they turned around, denied me, said he didn't die from uh, COVID. I said, no, it was from the vaccine. 
and say, they said, well, we can't help you. So I started speaking out at all these places I would go to. And then they started contacting me. You know what? Uh, if you would change his death certificate so it says uh, COVID, we can pay you uh, $10,000. I said, no, you know, it's too late. I already buried my son with you know help from donations from everyone. And uh, I asked them to destroy that and, you know, quit bothering me. And they kept every month calling, bothering me, bugging me. And uh, I kept telling them, no, they raised it up to $35,000. And I said, no, my son's life was worth more than that. And I'm not going to disrespect my son like that. And I'm not going to falsify documents for financial gain. And I just asked them, please leave me alone. It wasn't until the lawsuit that we have for censorship, uh, they decided to leave me alone. They quit bothering me because. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah, because they know they got what we're trying to do. Yes, exactly, ma'am. Ernest, what what's life like now? You know, you you just lived with Junior. What's your house like now? What's your life like now? There is no life. That's the truth. I uh, I ask God all the time to. I tell them I'm ready to go home. Mm. I I have nothing else here, and uh, I, I tell them I tell God I'm tired. I want to go home already. But uh, you know, like I always said, you know, we all know that a lot of time the answer is no. Because uh, I figure he he needs me here to fight this battle because I, I'm not just doing it for my son. I'm doing it for all my vaccine injured. Because not enough people are standing up for them, you know, medical. They need financial help for all their medicals and living. Some people are living in cars. Some people are trying to buy the medication so they can go get through another day. And so I figure that's that's the only purpose I'm still here. Oh, God bless you for it. I know the movie, again, it's called Shot Dead. It features Ernest driving around a truck with like a billboard on the side of it with the pictures of those who have lost their lives, we believe, because of this vaccine, because of this vaccine on, on which the risks were not disclosed. And once, once the risks became obvious, they were denied for far too long, and even to this day, downplayed by those in a position to know better. Stand by, you guys. I'm going to squeeze in a quick break, and then I'm going to come back, and we're going to talk about what's happening with pregnant women, uh, including... You mentioned you heard Taryn mention she was pregnant when her employer tried to get force her to get the vaccine. We interviewed Allison Williams of ESPN who quit because they tried to make her get the vaccine and she wanted to have a baby. She was very worried about the risks. Um, well, that worry was well founded. It's not that other pregnant women haven't had the vaccine and gone on to have healthy babies. It's just that some women had a very different experience and it should be disclosed so that there can be informed, truly informed consent. Hey everyone, it's me, Megan Kelly. Mark your calendars. News Nation, Sirius XM, December 6th in a live primetime event. The News Nation Republican primary debate. Sirius XM's Megan Kelly returns to the moderator's seat. I'll ask the questions you want to hear. Real issues, 
Tough questions, every contender. Because if you want to be the leader of the free world, you better be ready to give America the answers they're looking for. Live from the University of Alabama, the News Nation Republican primary debate. Moderated by Sirius XM's Megyn Kelly and News Nation's Elizabeth Vargas. December 6th, 8 p.m. Eastern. Watch it on News Nation, America's fastest growing cable news network. Find News Nation on your screen at joinnn.com or listen on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111. Go to SiriusXM.com slash MKShow to subscribe and get three months free. Offer details apply. The News Nation Republican primary debate. See you on the debate stage. To find News Nation on your TV, go to JoinNN.com. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Applications subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. So I just want to tell the audience... This is not in response to the movie Shot Dead, but Pfizer did post a statement in late October on its website about some of these risks that reads as follows. Myocarditis and pericarditis have occurred in some people who have received the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. They have occurred mostly, most commonly in adolescent males, 12 through 17 years of age. In most of these individuals, symptoms began within a few weeks following vaccination the chance of having this occur is very low. You should seek medical attention right away if you or your child have any of the following symptoms after receiving the vaccine, particularly during the two weeks after receiving a dose of the vaccine. Chest pain, shortness of breath, feelings of having a fast beating, fluttering, or pounding heart. Um, notwithstanding that, you still got the Pfizer CEO out there talking about how they this was their moonshot and they... That they planned. They said we we reached our moonshot with the COVID vaccine, and he wrote, and now we want to reach more because our patients are counting on us. I mean, don't bet on it. I don't know that that's true at all, Albert. Uh, Taryn, let's talk about pregnant women because there's been a real question about whether it's safe for pregnant women to take the vaccine. I mentioned Allison Williams of ESPN. She came on the show, and she quit ESPN because they tried to make her. You feature in the documentary. Uh, the sad story of a baby named Naomi White, who only lived for a day after her mother, Victoria, carried her to term. Uh, here's thought 34 of her mom, Victoria, talking about what happened. At the time, I was working at a nursing home, I think it was, and they gave us a deadline for the COVID vaccine, but they never, like, warned me or anything when I was getting my vaccine, just told me I could get it. So I got it just to keep my job. She maybe cried one time. And after that, like, she la- she laid there and I looked at her. She was looking at me. And then, like, 
it's like she kept turning purple and purple and just wasn't getting enough oxygen. And they let me give her a kiss and they like took her away and said that, oh, she'll be fine. She just needs oxygen and maybe some IV fluids. Oh, that poor babe. I got oh, in the new. When I held her, when they put her in my arms, there was no chance. Oh, God. That is absolutely awful. Um, Taryn, I know you talked to doctors. You had Dr. Thorpe, you mentioned. And you, too, like Allison Williams, wound up leaving your job. Was it with the... Uh, it was covering golf. I know that because they wanted you to get the the vaccine covering the PGA. Yeah, I was working for the PGA tour at the time and I went through a rigorous uh, vaccine exemption process for my religious exemption at the time. And uh, they there ended up being a very small uh, portion of us that did not get the vaccine. And they started handing down discriminatory rules like masking and testing. And so I requested to continue working in my home studio like I'd been doing for 19 months um, until I had the baby so I wouldn't have to violate my sincerely held beliefs against the masking and the testing and be discriminated against for not getting the vaccine. They said no, they fired me and they continue to let my immediate team work from home for at least a month after I was fired. Wait, so who exactly fired you? The, P the PGA Tour? The PGA Tour, the, PGA, the league itself, yes. Mm -hmm. That's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. It's not to say, again, that all pregnant women are going to have this problem. It's just no. people should know that that it has been documented by some mothers. And what relief, if any, has Victoria and her family gotten? They have not gotten any relief, but they have gotten some wonderful news that she is expecting again. And so far, um, she feels good during this pregnancy. Her her last pregnancy um, with Naomi that she ended up passing away, Tori said it never felt right from the beginning that she you know, had a lot of pain. The movements were different. She just knew that something was wrong. And the doctors didn't pick up on the fact that she had a congenital diaphragmatic hernia, which was a mal formation. She was also um, diagnosed with just a 10 centimeter umbilical cord, which umbilical cords are supposed to be at least 30 centimeters long. And so that caused the, the birth to be very traumatic. She kept getting pulled back into the birth canal and that further um, amplified her malformations and the diaphragmatic hernia. And all of this relates to the fact that um, she had all these birth malformations and this substance, this shot, as Dr. Thorpe and many other uh, doctors and scientists who have looked into this chronicle in this uh, film, Shot Dead at shotdead.org, that this is a very inflammatory substance. Many vaccines actually are inflammatory. This, they think, is one of the most inflammatory vaccines they've ever seen. And inflammation during pregnancy is very serious. It causes death, uh, preterm death. It causes miscarriages and it causes malformations cause. like Tori. Uh, it can cause. Um, and it's uh, it's very serious. You know, inflammation in pregnancy is something that um, OBGYNs try to, you know, mitigate at all costs with pregnant women. That's why they monitor you for all these various things like preeclampsia and things like that during your mm -hmm. pregnancy. Um, so, yeah, it's very heartbreaking and we have to keep talking about it and we have to keep sharing these stories because um, they are now trying to push more of these types of shots on pregnant women prior to covid it was considered unethical to test 
pregnant women and put them into clinical trials for vaccinations. Well, after COVID, and they essentially made the entire population into a clinical trial, they have now put pregnant women through clinical trials for the new RSV vaccine, which is an mRNA vaccine that is now approved on the market with very little, if any, safety and efficacy data. And so now wow. women are walking into their OBGYN's office. They're being told to get this COVID shot, this new RSV shot, along with the flu and the DTaP shot. Wow. My gosh, it's scary. And it's it's hard to know who to trust. You know, it's hard to know who to trust with the collapse in faith in our public health institutions. I know that what little fund the government has created for vaccine injuries has doled out almost nothing. Some 96% of the claims have, have received zero and haven't even been reviewed. And the ones that do get reviewed get a pittance. And so I know that you, Ernest, and families like you are trying to find a way to hold uh, these folks, the government and the vaccine manufacturers, accountable. They're rolling in money. And I noticed that all the families you chronicle in, in Shot Dead are not rolling in money. Everyone in the film appears working class. They're, they've got their financial struggles and probably didn't know who the heck to call to try to help them. So thank you for making this movie, Shot Dead. Ernest, thank you. You are important. You are helping other people by telling your story, you do have a purpose and Junior would not want you to come home too soon. All the best to you. Thank you, Taryn. And just so people know, just re please reiterate, they can get, they can watch the movie by going to shotdead.org. That is correct. You can go to shotdead.org and you can watch the movie for free on demand, share it with others. And you can also donate and contribute to the We the Patriots USA litigation fund against Pfizer. That is who's representing the families of Ernest and the Martins um, in our film that we're going after Pfizer for this, especially because we now know that uh, thanks to Steve Kirsch and his organization that these were adulterated. They're, they contain contaminated gene sequences and therefore yeah. their veil of um, you know being exempt from liability due to the EUA yeah. status is going to dissolve. That's a game changer. That's been in the news mm -hmm. um, that there were a certain number of vials that, that had a contamination problem. Thank you. Thank you both. All the best to you. Thank you, ma'am. Before we leave, Ruthless is here tomorrow. Don't miss that. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.